Good morning again. Uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. and we in verses 25 through 35, which you can also find in your bulletin. Uh, last time we were in Luke, we saw the grace of God shine forth as Jesus made it clear that the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame sinners would be welcome into the kingdom of God. All who humble themselves will be exalted by receiving a seat at God's eternal banquet. Oh, this is good news, friends. Christians have the, the future hope of glory. But as we will see this morning in our text, that hope of future glory comes with a present cost. So please follow along as I start reading in verse 25. Now great crowds were traveling with him, Jesus. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It is not fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. When the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we pray that we would be people who would trust in you and who would follow you in obedience, that we would take up our cross and follow you. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you would strengthen us to do that. Father, that we would hear and listen, that you would give us ears to hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think in most countries, all who want to become a firefighter, those who want a career as a firefighter, must go through a long and difficult training period. Uh, so in the United States, at least, those who want to become a firefighter, they must complete a, a four-month fire academy a school which trains them in the basics of firefighting. Now, during fire academy, new, new recruits tw train like 12 or more hours per day. They have classroom instruction. They have intense physical fitness requirements that they have to do each day. They learn and train to complete the number of physical demanding tasks that are required of firefighters, like you know, hauling the heavy hoses that they're gonna spray on the fire, carrying the ladders, crawling through dark and smoke-filled rooms, they also become very familiar with the risks and dangers involved in being a firefighter. And they must eventually pass academic and physical fitness tests in order to graduate from fire academy. Well, now, almost everyone who goes to the fire academy goes eagerly. Oh, they're excited. Many have wanted to be a, a firefighter their whole lives. I don't know in your country, but if you ask a kid in the United States what they want to be when they grow up, firefighter is not an uncommon response. Well, despite all this, about 15% of all students who begin the fire academy 
they fail to graduate. Some fail to pass the academic or physical tests, but many quit. The demands of fire academy are just too tough. Though they, they may have wanted to be a, a firefighter their entire lives, or since they were a kid, when they actually experience the demands of the job, they decide, well, you know what? This is not quite what I thought it was going to be. They decide, well, it's just not for me. And so they quit. And friends, the truth is that not everyone endures in the Christian life either. There are, are many people who are at one time seemingly eager and excited to follow Jesus, but who nevertheless fall away. There are some who quit the Christian life when they find out that following Jesus is not easy. When they experience the high cost of discipleship, when, when difficulties come. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the gate, and difficult is the road that leads to life. Well, the main idea of these verses, and therefore this sermon this morning, is this. True disciples bear any cost to follow Jesus, which brings glory to God. True disciples bear any cost to follow Jesus, which brings glory to God. And I have two points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first is understanding the cost. The second is advertising the cost. Understanding the cost, advertising the cost. And so the first is understanding the cost. Well, since the end of chapter 9, Jesus has been slowly making his way towards Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, he knew that he would suffer and die for his people, that when he reached Jerusalem, he would ultimately end up bearing his cross. He would go to the cross for his people. Well, by this point in his travels and ministry, his fame had grown substantially, and there were large crowds following him or, or traveling with him. Well, now the Bible presents something of a, of a mixed picture of the crowds that, that followed Jesus throughout his ministry. They were often amazed at his wisdom. They rejoiced in his miracles. But many also turned back from following him or even grew angry when Jesus' teaching got difficult. They often seemed to have something less than a, a full faith in Jesus. They were happy to follow when it was easy. When Jesus was doing amazing things, when he was giving them what they wanted, but they fell away when, when things got more difficult. Of course, Jesus knew all this, so he turned to this particular crowd that happened to be following him and began to give them a picture of what it would truly be like to be one of his disciples, what it would truly be like to follow Jesus. Well, he taught that there is a cost to discipleship. And this is not the first time that Jesus has taught about this cost of discipleship. We've seen it often in our journey through Luke. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus exhorted people to make every effort to enter the kingdom by the narrow door. Back in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. My friends, notice Jesus' strong language in our verses. His all-encompassing language. Three times, verses 26 and 27 and 33, 
Jesus made it clear that his teaching applies to anyone or whoever or everyone who wants to be a true disciple. And three times in those same verses, he says that you cannot be his disciple unless you're willing to bear the cost. My friends, there's no exceptions to Jesus' teaching here. He did not say that enduring these costs are simply one way or the, the best way to follow after him. No, he said that you cannot be his disciple unless you are willing to count the cost. This is not just for exceptional Christians or those who are super spiritual or like super extra devoted to, to Jesus. No, all true disciples must take up their cross and follow Jesus. And so church, in, in light of that reality, I have a couple of questions for you to reflect on as we go through the sermon this morning, as we study these verses. These are the questions. Can you identify anything that you have given up to follow Jesus? Just think back in your life. Can you identify anything that you've given up to follow Jesus? Can you identify any sacrifice that you have made for faithfulness to Christ? Friends, have you ever seen an auction where, where people bid for, for various items? Like the auctioneer might say, do I hear 100 dirhams for this item or for that item? If someone bids that amount of money or several people do, the auctioneer asks if anyone is willing to give more. Do I hear 200 dirhams? Eventually, the, the auctioneer reaches a point in which only one person is willing to pay the cost. That person wins the bid, they win the item, they get to buy it. But eventually, the, the cost becomes too high for everyone else. Friends, is there a cost that is too high for you to pay for Jesus? Have you ever thought, like, I'll follow Jesus as long as he does not make me give up that thing, or he doesn't make me do this, or give up that? Friends, if so, those things represent an idol of your heart. Something that you are tempted to love more and follow more, or trust in more, than Jesus. In these verses, Jesus identified three broad categories of things that you must be willing to give up or sacrifice in order to be one of his true disciples. Family, self, yourself, and possessions. Now, these are not necessarily a complete list of, of all the things we might be required to give up in order to follow Jesus. But they do give us a pretty good indication of the all-encompassing nature of discipleship. Uh, you must be all in. No such thing as half-hearted discipleship. Well, that being said, what I want to do is just briefly go through each of these categories that Jesus mentions in our verses, make a few observations, perhaps ask a few questions that might help you evaluate your own heart and your own life in light of, of Jesus' words in these verses. Well, the first is family. Jesus said that you must be willing to sacrifice your, your closest relationships, friends, but even including your own family in order to follow him. Look at verse 26. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Now, friends, good news. Jesus is not saying that you actually have to hate your family in order to, to follow him. In fact, Jesus teaches elsewhere that you are to love your neighbor, you are to even love your enemy. Uh, when a, a heart that has been transformed by God's grace is to grow in love, not to, to shrink in love. What Jesus is teaching here is that he alone, he alone must have your highest loyalty, your highest love. Your, your highest allegiance cannot even be to your family, but it must be to Jesus instead. This becomes abundantly clear if we consider Jesus' similar words from Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. Jesus says this there, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And so, friends, what might it look like to be more devoted to Jesus than your own family? Well, we can certainly think of any number of missionaries who suffered the loss of family members while taking the gospel to the nations. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, suffered the death of his wife and four of his eight children during his missionary service. And at least some of those deaths were attributable to the, the lack of medical care that they had, the, the hard conditions they endured. Well, he did not know this would happen when he left home. But Hudson Taylor believed that taking the gospel to the nations, faithfulness to Jesus Christ, was more important than anything else. Friends, for some of you, loyalty to Jesus could mean that you're willing to endure shame and perhaps even the abandonment of your family to become a Christian. Maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they wouldn't react so well if you were to place your faith in Jesus Christ. But faithfulness to Jesus would mean that you were even to suffer their shame or mistreatment to follow Jesus. Friends, faithfulness to Jesus could mean that you're willing to even give up the possibility of having a family. You refuse to date or marry someone who is not a Christian because you understand that loyalty to Jesus and obedience to Jesus is more important. It could mean that you refuse to, to live with that man or woman who is not your husband or wife until you are married because you know that faithfulness to Jesus is more important. Kids and, and teenagers, following Jesus could lead you, lead you to lose friends at school. It could lead to, to others to maybe make fun of you as you choose to live a life of holiness. Maybe not read the same things they do. Watch the same videos. Participate in the same jokes or, or mistreatment. And parents, faithfully following Jesus means that you should be willing to discipline your children and say no to allowing destructive influences in their lives even if you were afraid doing so might damage your relationship with them. Parents, I think you should require your young kids and your youth to come to church whether they want to or not. You should read the Bible at home with them whether or not they are eager for that. Your, your number one goal as a parent should not be to be best friends with your children, but to glorify the Lord in your parenting. But church, Jesus does not just call you to prioritize him over your family and friends. But he said that you must hate even your own life to follow him. So give up family, 
must give up your very self. And notice the progression in that statement. You are to be willing to give up your relationships and even your own life. The point being that that giving up your own life, denying yourself, is more difficult. Friends, the, the truth is that you will not be willing to give up anything, whether it's family, possessions, or anything else, until you are willing to sacrifice your own desires and your own dreams and lay them at the foot of the cross. You must be willing to bear your own cross and die to yourself, to lose your life that you might save it. Brothers and sisters, your entire life has to be reoriented around Jesus Christ. That's what it is to live a life of discipleship. And so most crucially, you must be willing to to give up your pride and your sin in order to follow Jesus. Friends, you cannot be a disciple without first turning from your sin and turning towards Jesus in obedient faith. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who pastored in Germany during World War II, He strongly warned Christians, particularly in Germany, against the idea of cheap grace in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. This is what he wrote. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Well, cheap grace speaks of Jesus' forgiveness without also teaching about his demand for discipleship. Tells people that they can be saved simply by praying a prayer, whether or not their, their lives actually change. As one author put it, cheap grace says, of course you've sinned, but now everything is forgiven. Jesus paid the price for your sins, so everything's taken care of. He goes on to write, That's okay as far as it goes, but it does not go far enough. The problem is that gospel contains no demand for discipleship. There's no requirement for repentance, no holding out for holiness. As the old truism goes, grace may be free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus his life, and it will cost us our lives too if we want to follow him. The invitation may be extended to all, But only those who obey Jesus' call, deny yourself, and take up your cross, have received it. Friends, in warning about cheap grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer showed the genuine nature of his conviction. His his obedience to Jesus led him to publicly oppose Hitler and the, the Nazi regime during World War II, and it eventually cost him his life. He was executed in a concentration camp near the end of World War II for his faithfulness to Christ. He lost his life that he might save it. Friends, God's free gift of salvation makes demands on your life. You must take up your cross and you must follow. If you do not, you cannot be a disciple. Friends, this is why it's such a problem for some people to call themselves gay Christians. I'm not talking about those who may be Christians and struggle with same-sex attraction, who fight against it and seek faithfulness to the Lord. There are those people that they're fighting. But those who call themselves gay Christians, who identify with that, they're saying, yes, we follow Jesus. 
but we still identify with a lifestyle that Jesus calls sinful. Friends, that's cheap grace. They're saying Jesus accepts me just the way that I am. He makes no demand that I change. I can follow Jesus without turning from my sin. Friends, that is just not true. It's cheap grace. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Friends, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be willing to give up your sin, and you must be willing to give up yourself. The the final category that Jesus mentions is down in verse 33. It's your possessions. This is a category we've thought about a lot in recent weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But Jesus is really just continuing this idea that he must be number one in your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Friends, are you willing to keep your integrity and do what is right at work, even if it was to cost you your job? Are you willing to be known as a Christian? Are you generous with what the Lord has given you? And you cannot serve both God and money. Oh, church, and in these verses, Jesus is urging you to think seriously about what it means to follow him. To think seriously about what it means to follow him. This is really the, the point of the two brief parables Jesus told in these verses. If you're to build a tower or a house... Would you not first like, make sure you have enough money to finish it one day? You're to sit down and calculate carefully, to go through the expenses, to know the cost of materials. You're to think carefully. In a similar way, before going to war, would not a king decide whether or not he thinks he can win? Does he have enough soldiers to defend his, his city? Does he have enough resources? He must sit down and decide. Friends, Jesus is urging you to take discipleship seriously. To understand what you are getting into. The church, you should understand that following Jesus is not simply an emotional decision. Though it certainly can and, and should stir our emotions. But following Jesus is more than emotions. It is a logical decision. We're to sit down and, and calculate the cost. Following Jesus is a commitment of the will, of the whole self, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Friends, it's not unusual at large Christian events, maybe a large revival meeting or a youth retreat, for instance, for many people to make a profession of of faith in Jesus Christ. The atmosphere of those events tends to lead people to something of an emotional high there surrounded by many others who who seem to be faithfully following Jesus and have a love for Jesus. And therefore, people often find themselves eager to follow Jesus and make a profession of faith in him. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. We should should rejoice over all lost sinners who are saved when the gospel is, is faithfully proclaimed for Christians to gather together. 
But we should also be clear that the true evidence of whether someone's profession of faith was real is not the, the prayer they said at that event or the decision they made when their emotions were high. It's going to be when they return to normal life and they have to count the cost. It's when life gets tough. When they realize that, that following Jesus may lose them friends and popularity. When following Jesus does not seem quite as exciting as it did at the revival meeting. Friends, counting the cost is not a one-time decision. It is a way of life. And what makes a true firefighter is not how eager they were to begin the fire academy. It's how committed they were to finish. In some sense, Jesus is saying it is not so much how you start the Christian life that matters. It's how you finish. Will you fight the good fight? Will you finish the race? Will you count the cost and keep the faith? You might say that Jesus paints somewhat of a sobering picture of the Christian life here. But church, the truth is that though there is certainly an earthly cost to following Jesus, there is no ultimate cost. Receive eternal life. Receive eternal reward. We have the hope of glory. We must look beyond this life and look at the life to come. Well, friends, if you're trying to save money to get married or go on vacation, you'll happily endure some hardships in this life. You'll skip out that cup of coffee. You won't out, go out to eat with some of your friends so you can save for something better. The temporary hardships are worth it. You get something better. Well, friends, Jesus is worth it. And he is worth it both now and for all eternity. Friends, Jesus came that you might even now have abundant life. Christians even now have the assurance of eternal life. Christians even now have something of the peace, joy, and satisfaction that will be theirs for all eternity. Christians even now have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. They have someone that they can trust in and rely on, someone that they can turn to in prayer, someone who hears them. But friends, these things do not shield Christians from present difficulties. Jesus is our rock, but we still experience present difficulties. Turn with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. We're going to spend just a couple of minutes in these verses because I think they help us to see that following Jesus is worth it. But also what it is that will help us in our Christian lives to count the cost. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Well, who is this large crowd of witnesses surrounding us? Friends, they are the Old Testament saints who walked by faith and who counted the cost. Flip with me back to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment, verses 35 through 40. I encourage you to go read the whole chapter yourself. But I want you to see what cost some of these people endured, this large crowd of witnesses endured. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 35. Other people were tortured not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. 
Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. My friends, these Old Testament saints counted the cost of faithfulness to God, because they had faith in his future promises. They had faith in a better resurrection to come. Brothers and sisters, though we have this great crowd of witnesses surrounding us, we have something greater to look to than just their example. Though we should look to their example, but we have something greater. We get to look to Jesus. We have greater reason and confidence to count the cost than they did. They were looking forward to the Messiah to come. We place our faith in the Messiah that came and died and rose again and will one day bring us home to glory. Look again at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. This is the exhortation of the author to you. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Friends, how do you count the cost? It's by looking to Jesus who started our faith, who will complete our faith, and who is the supreme example of our faith. It was the joy that was set before him, his future glory and his future reward that Jesus endured the cross. Friends, he counted the cost. Remember Isaiah 53 that Angela just read for us a while ago. But Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed, because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Well, church, you can count the cost and you can endure by looking to Jesus who endured and suffered for your forgiveness. Friends, he died that by faith you might live. And because of Jesus, we too have the hope of future reward. So what do you do when fighting your sin seems impossible? What do you do when you're ready to throw in the towel and give up? Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In struggling against sin, you, church, have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Friends, you remember that you've not struggled so much against temptation and sin that you have shed your own blood. But guess who did? Jesus. He shed blood to pay for your sin. So brothers and sisters, count the cost. Fight your sin. Die to yourself. Friends, first we must understand the cost. The second point of the the sermon is we're to advertise the cost. I want to briefly show you two things in this final point of the sermon. The first is that Jesus himself was honest about the cost of discipleship. He he honestly shared about the cost of discipleship with the crowds. And church, we should be honest about the cost of discipleship. We need to be honest with people when we share the gospel. 
do not offer people cheap grace or tell them they should just come to Jesus so all their problems, all their earthly problems are just going to magically disappear. We need to be honest in our evangelism. Telling people that Jesus invites them to come and die to themselves. To give up their sin. To follow him instead. Is it worth it? Absolutely it is. Friends, the, the Christian life is costly. Friends, Jesus' goal here was not to draw a bigger crowd. And that should not be the number one goal in Christian ministry or church ministry either. There's a very big danger in making it your goal to draw a crowd, to win an audience. One way to, to do that is to remove the offense of the gospel, to soften the message, to present a gospel of cheap grace so that everyone can go home and feel good about themselves. So hopefully they're going to feel good and come back again the next week. That's not the message of the gospel. Friends, the gospel is good news, but the message of the gospel should not make someone who refuses to give up their sin feel good. It should convict, and it should offend. Because we don't want to, to soften the hard edges of Scripture in order to draw the crowd. We are to advertise the cost of discipleship. Well, the second thing I want you to see is that as Christians, we're to advertise with our lives that the cost is worth it. Look at verses 34 and 35 of our text. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Brothers and sisters, our saltiness is our witness. We're to be the aroma of Christ, or you might say the seasoning of Christ to the watching world. Our, our lives, our faithfulness, and our good works, they're to give glory to God. If we publicly demonstrate in our lives that we're willing to count the cost by forsaking sin, by patiently and joyfully enduring suffering, by loving our enemies and not taking vengeance on those who may mistreat us. By being generous with our time and money. Friends, if we, if we publicly demonstrate that we're willing to count the cost, we show others that the cost is worth it. We show that Jesus is worth it. Is not that what the great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11 did? They had faith that God was worth it. On the other hand, what does it say about Jesus if we refuse to count the cost? If we give up when the going gets tough? It communicates that Jesus is not worth it. We communicate that Jesus is a nice addition to our lives. He's a nice add-on, but he's not the most important thing. He's only worth it if he makes our lives like a little bit easier, a little bit better, if uh, we get a little bit more of what we want. And friends, in the first few centuries of the church, persecution was a continual threat. But perhaps the worst and most violent persecution of Christians came in the year 250 AD during the reign of the Roman emperor Decius. Now, Decius intentionally targeted Christians 
by commanding all Roman citizens to make sacrifices to the traditional Roman gods, knowing that this would violate Christian convictions. It was a command to commit idolatry. Christians who refused to obey this command were imprisoned. Many were severely tortured in an effort to get them to deny Christ. Now, many of those Christians who were imprisoned and tortured, they refused to deny Christ, even after being tortured. And they were martyred. They were, they were killed for their faith. However, there were many other professing Christians who recanted or who denied the faith in the, in the face of such persecution. Now, some did so quite quickly and, and readily. You know, first hint of trouble, they gave up the faith. But others only renounced Jesus after enduring severe torture. Many of those who ended up renouncing the, the faith, uh, later they deeply regretted it. And they, they sought to rejoin the church. And uh, the church, the, the churches at the time in the Roman Empire, they had to decide, well, well, what do we do? These individuals failed to fully count the cost. They had brought public shame to, to Jesus by denying him. Should they be readmitted? Friends, the church, for the most part, eventually decided to allow those who renounced the faith to return. But before they were accepted back into the fellowship of the church, they had to demonstrate a genuine sorrow for their sin and a renewed faithfulness to the Lord over a, a period of time. It was a longer period of time for those who quickly renounced the faith and you know, quickly gave it up. A shorter period of time for those who had only denied Christ after enduring much torture. And then after they had gone through that period, they had to come before the church in sackcloth and ashes, stand before the church to repent of their sin and renew their faithfulness to Christ. And church denying Christ is a serious thing. Failing to count the cost is a serious thing. If that is the regular pattern of our lives, we are not even fit for the manure pile, as Jesus put it. But that being said, I, I think the early church made the right decision to renew the fellowship of those who demonstrated genuine repentance. Well, after all, did not Jesus restore a repentful and sorrowful Peter after he denied Jesus three times? Brothers and sisters, the sign of a true disciple is not perfection. There are times when we will fear God rather than man. There are times when we will be ashamed of Jesus before others. There are times when we will feel like giving up. There are times when we will give in to pressure. There are times when our circumstances will tempt us to doubt. There are times when we will give in to sin. Though we have the spirit, we still battle the flesh. The, the sign of a true disciple is that when those times come, when you fail to count the cost, you return to Jesus in humility and repentance, and you get back up, and you try again. Friends, some firefighters who fail out at the fire academy on their first try, they, they later come back and they try again. They go back home, they, they study more, they work out more to prepare their, their bodies again for the physical rigor of fire academy, and then they return to, to try again. Brothers and sisters, that is to be our attitude in the Christian life. We may not always pass the test that God brings into our life, but true disciples seek to grow in the faith, to better, to better prepare themselves for the next test that is to come. 
And they do this in the confidence that it is the Lord who will strengthen them to endure. They do it in the confidence that if they are truly in Christ, that no one can snatch them out of his hand. And they do it knowing that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can bear our cross if we are in Christ, because he bore it for us. Let's pray.